Well, good morning, Bethel. As we come to God's word together, let us bow and pray as we prepare our hearts. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we love you so much. What a privilege it has been already to sing your praises. You are worthy of all adoration, all praise. You're worthy of our very lives. And as we now come to your word, we ask that you would speak. Your word is living and active, you tell us. Your spirit illuminates the truth of your word. And so we ask, I ask right now that you would guide my words and that each one of us who get to partake from your word here as we are gathered from our homes, that we would be encouraged and strengthened, that we would meet with you today, the living God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When your son stumbles in, obviously strung out from who knows what, and it's, it's been a thousand times where he has come to you and say, Mom, Mom, I'll never do it again. I'm, I'm done with that stuff, Mom. Where, when it's been 10,000 times that you have pleaded with the Lord to free your son of this, and here he is again, what do you do? What, when you have been struggling for the last month after month, Maybe it's getting into year after year to, to barely get by, to be able to just have enough to, to pay the bills and, and have food on the table. And, and you've been trying to walk by faith, but it's just getting so exhausting. And, and, then, and then you get that job that seems like it's going to open up a whole bunch of new doors, that seems like it's going to be able to bring in enough to finally have a little bit more so that you can get a bit of room to breathe. But you get the first paycheck. And it's not what you thought it would be. What do you do? When you, you have vowed to never click on that website again. When you have said, I am done. I promise. I swear. I will never go there again. I will never click that again. I will never do that again. Except you just did. And the guilt comes rushing in. And the wave of shame comes crashing down. What do you do? This morning we are continuing our summer series in the book of Psalms called the Psalms of Summer. And we're in Psalm 61. I invite you to grab your Bible out and turn with me to Psalm 61 today. And I've titled this morning's message, Pray Again? Because sometimes that's how it feels, doesn't it? Sometimes that's what we want to say. Sometimes that's even what comes out of our lips again, where it's like, seriously, you want me to pray about this again? Really? I have prayed about this and prayed and prayed and tried and tried, and I just, I don't have any more fight in me. Hear from God's word today. I believe God desires to help us and to guide us and to strengthen us when we come to these moments. This psalm here, basically, it's in two sections. It's a, it's a song, actually, um, a, an ancient worship song from way back in the day that God has given. And it's got, it's got two verses to it, two uh, stanzas to this. The first one we find is in verses one to four. We see it's a song, it says right there in the introduction, for the director of music with stringed instruments of David. And the first stanza is verse 1 to 4. It begins and it says this, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. 
From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart faints and grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Pause. The first big takeaway that I want to encourage us and and show us out of God's word from today, from Psalm 61, is this. Never shy away from crying out to God again. Never shy away from crying out to God again. See, what can happen so often when we get to that point of feeling like it's just at the end of our ropes and I, I just, I'm so exhausted, I'm so weary, I've, I am done with this. I cannot pray again. I'm just done. David here, we see, finds himself in one of those, very easily he could be in one of those spots. He says in verse one, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. I'm crying out to you. I'm begging you. That phrase in the original language could be also translated. I'm wailing or I'm lamenting. He's pleading with God to turn his ear toward him, to take note of him, to take heed, to listen to his prayer. Verse two, from the ends of the earth, I cry, I call out to you. I'm I'm cut off, David says, from all that I know, from all that is familiar, from all that I am used to. David is saying, I'm praying from, from the ends of the earth, whether it is because he was running from his angry father-in-law who was on the hunt for him at some point, or whether it was the time when his son was trying to kill him and David was on the run, or it was another one of his enemies, you know, the many different battles that he had where maybe the Philistines are coming after him. Whatever it was, he was cut off. He, he has gone to some far off foreign remote place. It's not familiar. It's not known to him. It is not his usual home. And and if you've ever traveled to a different culture, you you have a little bit of a glimpse of what this is like. We have have a phrase for it, right? When you travel into another country, remember what it is? It's it's culture shock. I, I remember many years ago going for the first time one summer for six weeks to Africa spending the summer in Tanzania and and it was an amazing trip and yet there was this like there was this jarring unsettling unnerving culture shock that I went through you know I, the, the 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 dirt and the dust that's just everywhere the sounds of the vehicles the horns and the busyness of it all the the smells of the food was all so different the language was different everything was just so unsettling and I felt like a foreigner. I felt like an alien. I felt like an outsider. I just felt like I am so at the ends of the earth and I just don't feel any kind of peace. David here is in that sort of moment from the ends of the earth in this sort of shocked, unsettled, unnerved, you know, culture shock 10,000 times over sort of experience. I call as my heart grows faint, he says in verse 2. Everything in me feels like I'm just going to pass out. I've, I've got nothing left to keep pushing. I, I, I'm resigned and I just throw up my hands in the air and I'm done. I can't keep going, he prays. He says there, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Picture here, picture in your mind's eye, 
running for your life out in the wilderness, this animal, you know, maybe a wild dog or something is chasing after you, and you're trying to find a really tall cliff that you can grab onto, pull yourself up and get on there so that the dog will just be jumping up and trying to climb up that sharp wall, that, that steep wall, but you are safe because you're up on top. That's what David's saying. Like, I'm trying to find a high place where I can get away from the claws and the teeth, the gnashing of this enemy after me. Guide me, lead me to that kind of rock, God. I need help from you. I need to get to a high place of protection. Verse four says, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. I yearn to find, find a home like your tent, God. The, the tabernacle, the, the place where God dwelt among his people in David's day before the, you know, the brick and the mortar temple was built. Let me find a home in your tent so that I can be safe there. Let me take refuge in your wings. Again, he's grabbing just all this poetic imagery here of this, this mother bird in her nest protecting over her baby chicks. Let me find peace just like a baby chick finds under her mother's wings. He says here, let me just recap. Hear my cry, listen to my prayer. I call to you, he says that twice in verse two. I need a high rock of safety. I need the tent of your presence. I need the shelter of your wings. David here is praying and he's at his wits end. He's at, he's at the, the, the end of the rope. He is just exhausted and weary and how easy it would be for him in this moment to just say, I have prayed a thousand times, a thousand, 10,000 times, 10,000 times about this. And I, do you want me to pray really again? I can't do it. I just don't have it in me. To which I think God's word encourages us here, never shy away from crying out to God again. Look at verse three. I skipped over that one. Let's come back to it. For you, it says, have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. David, as he is in this spot, crying out to God for help, shares with us an insight. He's been here before. He, he's been here before. Maybe the circumstances are a little bit different, but, but in general, it's actually, he's, he's walked this path before. He's, he's worn these shoes before. Look, look, read again. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. In the past, in the past, when this happened before, he's saying, God, you were there for me. Notice the connections he makes. He begs in verse four, I long to be in your tent and to have your refuge of your wings. But then he says here in verse three, you have been my refuge. He pleads in verse two, I need a high rock of safety and protection. He says in verse three here, you have been a strong tower against the foe. David has been here before. He has found himself in this kind of struggle 
before. He has had these feelings before. And what we see here and what I want to suggest to you and I here today is this beautiful model of God urging us, even though you have been here before, even though you have found yourself back in the same spot again, and you might feel like, man, I've prayed a thousand times, a thousand, 10,000 times, 10,000. You want me to pray again? Really? Even though you might feel all of those things, keep bringing your burdens to the Lord. God's saying, keep bringing your burdens to me, your needs to me. See, pride, pride holds us back. Pride says, I need to fix this first. I need to get my act together. I need to work this out. I need to be the one to do it. I'll, I'll talk to God after I finally got this whole thing in some semblance of an order. Pride says, I need to do it. And pride in our hearts stiff arms God out of the picture. See, shame, shame says, I can't talk to God. I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. I, I'm not worthy. I'm too much of a hypocrite. And the shame feels like it's a giant straitjacket that holds us back from being able to approach God. Fear, fear holds us back. Fear says, if I even try to talk to God about this, what, what is he going to do? What's he going to say? Is he just going to smoke me? Is he going to turn his back upon me, if I invite a brother into my life to pray with me about this, if they find out what's really going on behind the closed doors of my house, in my life, in my heart, in my family, what are they going to think? How are they going to respond? I, I, fear says I can't let anybody in. I, I, I need to just put on the smiling face, hide, protect, pretend, keep the Sunday. Smile up. That's pride, that's shame, that's fear that all want to keep us back. The enemy wants to keep us back from going to the Lord. But do you know what God says when we find ourselves, even in those moments where it's like, you really want me to pray even again, really seriously? He says, come to me again. Come to me again. Don't shy away. Don't hold back. Don't try and fix it yourself. Don't worry about me turning my back upon you. I have my open arms and I welcome you. Don't let insecurity or fear or shame overwhelm you and hold you back. Come to me. So for example, let's, let's say there's some big temptation that you're struggling with. You're really struggling with it. You're trying to kick it. I, I don't know if it is an impurity thing that you're trying to keep your mind and your heart in the right place. I don't know if it is an honesty thing where you're struggling to, to say the whole truth and nothing but the truth and you keep stretching it and manipulating the facts to get people to look at you kindly. I don't know if it's a gossip thing and talking about people behind their backs or I don't, whatever the temptation okay, might be, a sobriety thing, who knows? 
Whatever it might be though, you're like, you know, I, I have, I've stumbled and I've gotten back up. I've stumbled and I've gotten back up. I've stumbled, I've gotten back up. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed about this so many times you won't even believe it. I just, it feels like it's not even making a difference. I have tried everything. I have, I have tried the accountability partner thing to kind of come in and help alongside of this. And, and it works for a few weeks, but then the meat is kind of peter off and then it just kind of get back into the old habits. I have tried to like pray and confess thing and just be totally honest. Honest. I've tried different disciplines to try and fill my mind with certain things or busy my heart with certain activities or do all these different kinds of things to distract me, but nothing seems to work. I thought I would be done with this by now. Surely, why am I not done with this by now? Why have I not overcome this? Why have I not gotten through it? Why is this still an issue in my life? What is wrong with me? I don't even know if I can keep fighting. I don't even know if God is even listening is he really even answering my prayer? And we have this inclination or this sense in our hearts when we find ourselves in those moments. I just don't know if I can keep praying. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep talking to God even in the midst of this. Here in this psalm though, I want you to notice this. This first stanza, God wrote these first four verses. And let this sink in, okay? God wrote these first four verses to you and to me to give us words to pray when we find ourselves in this moment. Because he's saying, come to me and keep coming to me. Don't shy away from coming to me again. Come to me over and over. Let me even give you a prayer to pray when you feel like you're at your wit's end, to describe the angst, the despair, the yearning that you're feeling. Pray these first four verses. Come to me, don't shy away. Come to me, even again and again and again. Now look back at the second stanza, verse five. We see here a turn. Verse five says, for you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and your faithfulness to protect him. Then will I ever sing to pra sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Here, here's the second big takeaway that we get out of God's word here today in this psalm. It is this, I need eyes to see that God hears me. I need eyes to see that God hears me. Verse five is a shift in this psalm. From the, the pleas for help to a declaration of confidence of what God has done. David declares, God, God leads us to Pray here, verse five, for you have heard my vows, O God. When we pray, when you pray, when we bow our heads, when we call out to God, when we gather together corporately and pray, when you're alone at home and you shut your door and you got on your knees in your room and you're calling out and crying out to God, when you pray, when you wake up early in the morning and you've got a coffee in your hand and you're sitting in your chair or out on your front porch and you're talking to God with your Bible open, you're driving down the road and you're talking to God, hear this, Bethel, hear this, brother, sister, God hears you. 
Do you know that? Do you, need, do you need a reminder of this? That God hears you when you pray. You're not just talking to the walls. You're not just talking to the people around you. You're not just talking to yourself. God hears us when we pray. David declares here, you have heard my vows, O God. You have heard me. You have heard the commitments that I have made to you. You have heard the cries of my heart. It brings to mind what God said to Moses when Moses was at the burning bush and God was calling him to go and set his people free. Exodus chapter three, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. God hears you, my dear brother. God hears you. God hears you, my dear sister. He hears you. As you plead for help to try and get back up after stumbling again and again and again, God hears you. As you beg for help to show love and kindness and grace to that person who just keeps launching challenge after challenge and just is a spur in your side, God hears you as you intercede for that child or that grandchild who has wandered so far away that it feels like, are they ever going to be able to come back? Is this ever going to be remedied? As you wrestle through that relationship and wonder, is it just too fractured and broken? It'll never be able to be reconciled. As you call it for help in the face of uncertainty, wondering what's going to happen when that next phone call comes. God said to Moses, I have heard my people crying out. The psalmist here declares, you have heard my vows, O God. God hears you and I. He is listening. It says there in verse five, the rest of it, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You have provided, David says, for me in abundance. You have provided for all those who fear your name. You hear and you pour forth good Yes, it's who God is. To which we might say, well, it doesn't really feel like he's answering. It doesn't really feel like he's hearing. It doesn't really feel like he's pouring out good gifts. I've been crying out and crying out and crying out and praying and praying and praying. And it's interesting. Verse six here has this like, whoa, where did this come from sort of change? Look at verse six. It says, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. And that might seem at first like it's like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Wait a minute. What did, we're talking about king now? I don't understand what's going on. Why, why are we now praying about a king here? But it's not out of nowhere. It, 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 it's like he has been given here, David has been given here this aha Holy Spirit moment. That's why verse six comes up here. That's why this prayer comes up here. See, the king, catch this, is the example of how God has heard his prayer. Let me say that again. The king here, the reason why he pivots to focus his prayer now on the king is because the king is the example of how God has heard his prayer. We need eyes to see. See, the psalmist has been given here and, and we need to pray, God, give me eyes to see where and how you are working. You see, if the king 
is faithful to God, guess what's going to happen for all the people? The the people who are crying out in angst and worry and, and torment and trouble and struggle, who are cast off as far as the eye can possibly imagine and feeling just totally, you know, culture shocked and unsettled and just totally in struggle. If, if the king becomes strong and faithful and obedient to God, guess what's going to happen for the people? Where the king goes, the people are going to go. Verse 6, the, the prayer says, increase the king's life, literally that he may have days upon days in the original language there. Increase the king's years that he may have literally generations upon generations. Because if the king is a good and godly king and he reigns in a good and godly way, the attacks are going to be squashed. Verse 7, may he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. May May the king live permanently in God's presence is the prayer here. May the king constantly stay close to the Lord and bless the Lord with a never ending, for his never ending covenant, his never stopping faithfulness. May the king experience this unceasing grace and mercy and comfort and faithfulness of God to protect him. Because then... Verse 8, will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day? If the king is able to be enthroned and and reigns like this, the answer to the pleas of the psalmist in the first half of this passage is fulfilled when the king reigns in protection If the king is safe, if the king is protected, if the king rules and reigns in line with God, all the angst of the first four verses has been solved and worked out. God is giving the psalmist here and us eyes to see where he is at work. He is is answering the prayer of the first half And the answer is the king. The answer is the king. Uh, A couple weeks ago, a friend shared with me a podcast um, interviewing Dr. Tim Mulhoff. And uh, Dr. Tim Mulhoff was talking about his book called Eyes to See. Really interesting conversation there talking about this book. The book in itself, the caption to it is about recognizing how God is at work even in our broken and unsettled world. And he, he asked, sort of asked and answered himself this question, where is God in the midst of this horrible war that is going on in the Ukraine? Where, where is God in the midst of this atrocity? Which is a, a very fair question, isn't it? Now, I think it's a question we probably, if we're honest, probably all of us have thought and wondered in these days. How many have seen this picture? This picture that has become fairly famous. Mulhoff pointed to this picture here, pointed out this picture that's become very famous from Poland in the the last couple months where hundreds of thousands of refugees, you've probably heard, Ukrainian refugees are going from Ukraine into Poland. Most of the refugees are actually women with their young children because the men are supposed to stay back and, and fight in the war. 
And they had to leave everything. And so at these train stations in Poland, there were dozens and sometimes even hundreds of strollers that Polish women left on the train station um, you know, landing bay for these Ukrainian young mothers who have nothing with them but their babies and the clothes on their backs to be able to take these strollers and go with them. Dr. Mulhoff asked this question, why is it when we look at this whole scene going on in the Ukraine, why is it that we give all of the blame to God for the atrocities that are happening in the war and then we totally skip over and take away any credit for God when we see incredible mercy acts like this given? I mean, we, we totally ignore the fact that there is this crazy dictator, Putin, who's going through and doing incredible atrocities to kill thousands upon thousands and try and take this land. We totally ignore that the evil of that man and, and say, why is God doing that? And yet when this incredible act of mercy and grace and kindness of these strollers are given, we say, hey man, look how nice all of these Polish women are. And we fail to give any wonderful credit to who inspired their hearts, who stirred up their hearts, even if they don't realize it, to bring about these generous acts of provision, was it not Almighty God who stirred up their hearts to provide? The scriptures teach every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Yes, yes, it was wonderfully generous for these Polish mothers and women that gave up their strollers, but who inclined their hearts to do this? The goodness and grace of a loving heavenly Father who delights to give good gifts is the one who inclined their hearts to do this. When we pray, dear friends, when we pray, God hears. God is listening every single time we pray. Do we have eyes to see? Do we have eyes to see where and how God is answering? How often do we fail to see the answers of Almighty God to our prayers? How often do we fail to take note of God's hand at work? How often do we get so caught up in this is how God is supposed to work and miss all the different ways that he is doing? We take away credit from him and give it to other people in places. God hears the prayers of David here and his people. And he points to the answer that he is providing, the focus. It's the king. A good, noble, righteous king will protect you, will rescue you, will uphold you. That's the answer to God, from God for the prayer here. The king was the answer. The king was the provision. The king was the solution to all the angst of that first stanza that is getting all just wretched over, which leads us, which leads us to this final reflection. As we read, as we read this text here today, man, if only it were possible as we read this text to have a king, don't we kind of think who lived like this? When we think about the angst we go through, when we think about the struggles we go through, when we think about all the turmoil we go through, when we think about the begging and wondering and yearning and, and, and craving for God to show up, if only it were possible to have a king who embodied what we see here. I mean, David was a good king, it says in, in 1 Samuel 13. He was a man after God's own heart. It says that at one point in the scriptures, but he was not perfect, right? We, we know this. He, he messed up. He, he murdered a guy. He committed adultery, 
He was not faithful in terms of following God's ways, was a man of war. He, he was a man, a fragile, finite man who lived and died and was buried in the ground. If, if only though, if only it were possible to have a king that truly ruled like this psalm here says. If only it were possible to have a king who walked so closely with God and step with God that all he did was right. All he said was true. All that he accomplished was exactly in line with the perfect covenant faithfulness of God and displayed all of this faithfulness for all the world to see. If only it were possible to have a king who could rule forever and ever and ever and never be replaced, never be thrown into the grave and have another step in, but for generation after generation, day after day to rule and reign. If only it could be a king who would rule and reign and bring about freedom and hope and help to overcome and crush all of the enemies and squelch all of the disaster and, and bring about help and hope and peace. Guess what, brothers and sisters? This is exactly what God did when he sent King Jesus for you and me. This is exactly what God has done. If the answer in part here in this psalm for David that we see was, was the king was the answer. Where the king goes, the people will go. How much more is that answer not gloriously fulfilled when we think about Jesus Christ, the ultimate greater king who came to bring about peace and hope for his people? Jesus is just that king. We have an even greater king. Jesus is the king who walked perfectly in unity with God. Jesus is the king who delighted to keep the covenant of God completely and pours out a never stopping, never giving up love and faithfulness to all who are under his rule. Jesus is the king who was always right and always did what was right and displayed perfect rightness, righteousness. Jesus is the king who was never conquered by the grave, but who does rule and reign forever and ever, day after day, generation after generation. Jesus is the king who shows us that in those moments of total despair, we need not fear. We need not be filled with shame, but we can run to the open hands of God because, because he has answered our prayers. He has answered our prayers by sending the king who no matter how big and how mighty and how overwhelming and how deep and dark our despair might be, he has sent the king who's come to bring us hope. He sent the king who pulls us out of the mire. He sent the king who sets us free. He has sent King Jesus for you and for me. And so no matter how much we might feel like, man, pray? Really? Again? Yes, we can run to the throne of God because we have the King who has given us all that we need.